Mindfulness Mode 394. The water from the wave sort of pulling back, but then it comes crashing down. And of course, that continues when you're talking about the actual ocean. And I do think that's what happens with society as well. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Well, Mindful Tribe, I just finished a tea, drinking a tea in honor of my dad, and he used to like it with, he'd put hot water in the cup and he just sort of dipped the tea bag in for a second and take it out. And I always thought, whoa, it's hard even worth putting a tea bag in because, man, that's not much tea flavoring. But, you know, since he died, I've been doing that a few times, just kind of remembering him and how he did things. And I think it kind of is sort of therapeutic to just kind of honor him and think about how he did things and why and so on. So that's been on my mind a lot, as I mentioned on my last episode. And uh, so on my last episode, I also said, hey, send me something about your dad. If you would take a minute and just share a little bit about your father and send it to me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. And you know what? I did. I got some feedback. Thank you so much, Mindful Tribe, for sending me that feedback. And I got two emails particularly with wonderful letters about your fathers and telling me all about your life and i've sent out mindfulness mode t-shirts to both of you you know who you are i'll be sending i'll be sharing a little bit more about about what you said next time and sadly i was just at another funeral one for my friend and he's actually the brother of our friend here in Ontario. And he lived in Newfoundland. And when we went to Newfoundland in, in August of 2017, we spent time with Carl. And he just made that trip amazing because he was so upbeat. He was so fun. He was so passionate and excited about life and telling us all about a a little boat that he was working on and restoring. And he was telling us how he loved the winter. He just loved the winter because he would go out with his wife into the woods and they had a kind of a cabin back there and there'd be three feet of snow and they'd go there and they'd snuggle up for the weekends and he told us about that and then he told us about how he would he would plow the road on I think it was Goose Cove Road if I'm not mistaken something like that and he was so excited to be the guy to clear that road and keep it passable for all the the people that lived nearby and how people would come out and wave to him and say come on in come on into the kitchen and have a have a coffee have have a piece of pie he he was just like the greatest guy and sadly he's passed away at the young age of 53 years old oh man so sad Carl Rumbolt wow you know it just well we went to the funeral and it was streamed here to Ontario and It was wonderful being part of it. I was very grateful to be part of that, to be present while he was being honored. And I also wanted to mention something else. As you know, at the top of my show, I always mention that uh, I'm a mindfulness coach, a life coach. And I don't usually mention many details about that, but I have an opening 
for another client. And maybe you have always felt, geez, I'd love to bring a little bit more mindfulness into my life. I'd love to be more connected. I'd love to rid my life of some of the anxiety and stress that I have. And this is how you can do it. Connect with me. We can have a a chat, a free chat. Just uh, send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and we'll jump on a call and we'll talk about the details. We'll talk about what what I can do to help you out. And uh, this could be definitely a win-win. So yeah, send me a message. But first, now's the time to sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with my guest who has a fascinating story which includes NASA. Well, Mindful Tribe, another fantastic guest. This is going to be such a terrific interview. I just know it. I have Dr. Laura Gallagher here today. Hey, Dr. Gallagher, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am incredibly mindful at the moment. Yes, Bruce. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's great to have you on the on the show today. Dr. Gallagher is an organizational psychologist. She's a speaker, a facilitator, and an executive coach. She's the founder and CEO of Gallagher Edge, which she started in 2013. Her career began at a very remarkable time. It was after the Space Shuttle Columbia exploded upon re-entry back in 2003 and any of us who were teenagers or adults at that time will certainly remember that event it killed everyone aboard and following this tragedy nasa hired laura and a team of organizational psychologists to change the cultural influences that were deemed to play a role in the accident. She worked for eight years to positively influence culture, develop leadership capacity, and improve organizational performance at Kennedy Space Center. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's and PhD in organizational psychology. And she's also a licensed human element practitioner. So you might be familiar with that and a certified radical collaboration trainer and a certified coach. So Dr. Laura, wow, you're you've got you've, you've done so many amazing things, but it's it's going to be great to talk with you. What does mindfulness mean to you? Let's start there. Mindfulness to me, I think the word I use to depict mindfulness is feeling alive, actually. And so what that means to me is that every part of me and my being is focused only on what I'm doing in that moment. So that that adage, and I can't recall where it comes from, maybe you know, but wherever you are, be there. Yes. To just be fully encompassed in whatever it is that I'm doing. That's what mindfulness means to me. Well, when you started working at the Kennedy Space Center, what did you find? What kind of what kind of attitudes did you find that the people were living with who worked there at that time? I definitely experienced people that were open to change. You know, I think it's so difficult to know that when you're working with an organization like NASA, there are legitimate life and death consequences for mm-hmm. the way things go down. Um but you know the tragic upside of that is that people are really paying attention at that point. So when I came on board, and I didn't actually start working with them until 2006, so okay. they had already gone through 
um, a year and a half or two year initiative to really get clear about what types of leadership behaviors were happening at the Space Center that were contributing to this tendency for people to withhold their opinions and only disagree to a point. And so they definitely had, I think, a higher level of awareness than a lot of organizations do. And I mean, talk about a compelling why, you know, so I think that people were very open to it. Now, at the same time, because a couple of years had passed by the time I came on board, I think that for some people, they kind of slipped back into the classic resistance to change. <laughs> so when I started there, so one of the things that they realized is that organizational design has a really, really big impact on the way that humans behave. And the engineering function was buried inside the programs. And they were making a lot of decisions based on schedule and budget and not necessarily based on technically what had the most merit. So they pulled all of the engineering function out of those programs. And that was a huge change. And that was my first project was to help manage the change associated with pulling people out of these programs. So somebody who used to say, I'm a shuttle engineer, was now supposed to just say, I'm an avionics engineer who works with the shuttle program. And so even though people, for the most part, were open to change and understood that there was a need for it, they still struggled with the very human components of identity, feeling like they were losing some of that. Some people had spent their entire careers identifying as a shuttle engineer. Right. Right. And now we were asking them to step away from that. And of course, we had two reasons for that. One was to change the design of the organization. And the other reason was that we knew that the shuttle program was retiring. And so mm -hmm. we wanted those engineers to have a sense of, I'm a NASA engineer, rather than being fixated on which program they were serving, because the programs are always subject to change. Right. Well, that makes sense. So so you, you dug right in. And what are some of the first things that you did with the teams? I mean, you kind of alluded to that already, but can you tell us a bit more? Absolutely. So when it came to the, the senior executive team, we were creating a, a matrix organization. And it's funny now because in the work that I do with my clients, we basically never recommend a matrix organization. It's one of the most difficult organizational designs to execute effectively because there's so much more ambiguity in terms of leadership and direction and decision making. Um, there's a lot more likelihood for people to feel a sense of being um, threatened in their own positions. Like, well, am I leading this person or are you leading this person, which can trigger defensiveness. And so I focused first on growing the interpersonal skills of the executive team. Um, you know, the focus that I brought to the director of the engineering organization was this is more critical than ever. Um, and he was actually still in the process of choosing the leaders on his executive team. And so that's where I started because I, I wholeheartedly believe that the performance of the executive team of any organization is the biggest predictor of how that organization as a whole will perform. So that was the first thing. And I think really in parallel was um, going through these one-day workshops with the employees themselves to help them envision and visualize how work was going to be different in this matrix environment. So we had them bring us the problems. We said, you tell us what's something that you know how to do it today. You know how it works now. Mm -hmm. But with this change, you're not really sure how it's going to work. And then we can problem solve it. And so what I loved about that is that we were 
giving them skills and knowledge about change management and how to be open and receptive to change. But it was incredibly real because mm -hmm. we were using the challenges and the questions that they were bringing to us and we were working through them in real time. When did you become certified for the human element practitioner course? So that was just um, in 2016, actually. Oh, fairly so recently. It was fairly recent. I, I uh, experienced the human element program in 2009 and no joke, and I don't care how cliche it sounds, it changed my life. It mm -hmm. really did. Mm -hmm. And even though at that point in time I wasn't licensed, um, I brought the concepts into my work from that point forward. Actually, just last night I was writing a writing my brand story because that's not really something that I've done before. But, you know, I, I came into NASA and I was studying organizational psychology. And so I knew a lot of these theories and I knew a lot of what leaders, quote unquote, should do, uh, you know, developing emotional regulation skills and things like that in order to be more effective in communication. But I actually came to learn when I went through the human element program that I myself was exhibiting a lot of the behaviors that I was asking the leaders not to, if that makes sense. Wow. So I got feedback from people in that workshop experience because there's a lot of feedback in that workshop experience. Basically that people were not being as open with me as I wanted them to be. So there were, there were things about the way that I was showing up that were um, encouraging other people to stifle their opinions. And mm. none of that was conscious. No part of me wanted to consciously shut people down right? And so it was just that I was, I don't know if this is me rationalizing, but I was young and crazy ambitious and I had a lot of opinions and I was never afraid to assert myself. And I do think that I'm reasonably smart and reasonably articulate. And sometimes just me stand, like sounding so confident in my own opinions, other people would kind of quietly back down. They didn't want to disagree with me. They didn't want to feel like they were getting into some kind of argument with me about it because I probably would argue and not realize how much other people were, you know, fearful of that interaction. And so it was a huge aha moment. I honestly left the end of that workshop feeling like a shell of a person. Wow. Yeah, I went in confident and young and life was great and I felt great about myself, but it was, there was a big facade that I didn't even know was there. And so it just really, really penetrated that for me. And I feel like that's when I really started to get it. So even though I didn't go through the official licensing until 2016, starting immediately in 2009, I began preaching to everybody about this concept of how everything starts with the self and that we all have a tendency to want to defend ourselves. It's a human, it's a human condition, but there are things that we can do about it. There are things that we can choose to do to be more self-accepting and be less defensive and create that more open, authentic communication channel so that more and more people are willing to be open. Well, today we are experiencing a lot of interesting challenges with male, female, masculine, feminine uh, traits. And, and how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you help people who are, are struggling with this, this whole me too kind of, that's only a small part of it, but what do you do to help people with this? There's a possibility that I, I don't actually give gender 
enough weight in my work. Um, I will say that the majority of the clients that I've worked with have been male. Certainly not all, but, uh, you know, NASA is, I think, 70% male. And then on top of that, I was working mostly with the engineering and technology directorates. Mm -hmm. So even more male, you know, pushing 80, 90%. Um, And even then, a lot of the uh, female employees in those organizations were not holding engineering and technical positions. There were definitely some, um, and I believe that we're continuing to make a, a positive shift to have things be a bit more balanced. But when I started my own business, I was, again, working in the technology sector. That's mm-hmm. where I started with my niche. And so I've worked with so many men that I almost forget about some of the stereotypes around, you know, male, female and how we show up. But I have had experiences. I, I There's one exercise that I do around openness. And I brought that to a group of all women. So it was, um, I think it was Athena Leadership Program and it was all women. And I, I really did marvel actually at how this group of women jumped into the exercise and got vulnerable much faster mm-hmm. than I was even used to. But here's the thing, the work of the human element, the exercises and the experiences, and I'd like to think there's something about the way that I bring the work into teams as well. When I say faster, I'm talking about the difference between two minutes into the exercise and seven minutes into the exercise. So again, from my experience, when people go through this work and they have a chance to just experience themselves differently and experience each other differently, it doesn't, I feel like it sort of levels out. I think we just all become human again. And the other thing that I do, and I definitely started doing this when I was at NASA, is I really just try to appeal to the logical and scientific minds Um, Because you know, Bruce, this stuff is evolutionary in nature. Yes. You know, we are are tribal creatures. We are hardwired for human connection. And we have evolved to be fearful. So you put all these things together and I'm like, look, this is just the way we are. You're not weak because you're fear-based. You're human. So congrats, you're human. Cool. Can we all accept this and move forward? Okay, great. (laughs) Um, And so I feel like, you know, even some of the more macho men can more or less get on board with that. And they're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll pause and stop rambling there and see what thoughts you have. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think it's very complex and it varies where you go and, and who you're working with. Of course, there's, it makes such a big difference. And, and sometimes I'm taken aback at, at, the attitudes that are still so like, they just reflect back to decades ago you know, and, uh, I know that my, I've been spending more time with my father. He just passed away last week and I was able to talk with him a lot about stories of him growing up and, and his relationship with his mother and his father. And, and, and they had this attitude that, you know, you had to, you had to kind of break a woman you know, and I'm like, oh, like, oh my gosh, it just flipped me out. You know, some of the things that he told me. Yeah. And I think when people become close to death, then they're more willing to share things the way they really are, mm-hmm. you know, and he told me things that I just shook my head, you know, because it's tragic. It's absolutely it tragic. There are so many artificial human and social constructs that are imposed on humans from the time that we're tiny children. Yes. 
And, you know, one of my favorite, favorite experiences um, in the human element work has to do with, this does start to get very like, eh? <laughs> but I think your listeners will, will value this and appreciate it. Having um, fluidity in your self-concept. Yes. Right. And so even though um, I think it still feels new and a lot of society is still trying to adjust to it, even concepts like gender fluidity, I think are really useful. And, you know, like you were saying, masculine and feminine energies. And what if we stopped trying to take these constructs and dichotomize it, saying it's this or it's that? Yes. Like this black and white thinking does not work. No. In fact, I, t I talk about living in the gray and humans have this strong desire for certainty. And so we like to categorize things and put things into buckets, but then it creates that rigidity and it starts to become, okay, I am a woman or I am a man and therefore I must be these things. And if I do anything that threatens that construct of who I am, then I don't know if I can cope with that. And so it's like we come up against these artificial walls. They're not real. They're not there, but we're afraid to bust through them. And so I, I think that we're in Societally, I actually do think that we're in a good place, I think, in terms of progress. Um, sometimes I think that we have these moments of really, really, it's almost like, um, you know, the water from the wave sort of pulling back, but then the, it comes crashing down. And of course, that continues when you're talking about the actual ocean. And I do think that's what happens with society as well. So I do think in some cases there's been sort of a, a pullback into very traditional, stereotypical um, you know, I'll just say white male patriarchy. But I think because of that sort of violent pull, society's going, uh-uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's going to come crashing down in the other way that's really far more egalitarian. Right. Yeah. And uh, my son's 17 and I know he comes home from school and tells us that some of his friends see themselves as gender fluid. And it's it's just a whole different world in high school now. You know, yeah. it's it's completely different. And I think that's that's healthy in a lot of ways. I completely agree. It's funny. I so I've always felt um, pretty accepting and and pretty much on um you know, the the left side or the liberal side of, of things when it comes to, um, you know, human rights and, you know, social issues. Yes. But at the same time, I really want to have compassion for, um, for other people and especially perhaps different generations. And I wonder, what is that thing, you know, when I'm 50 or 60 years old, what's going to be that thing happening that I go, what? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. What's happening now? But just I want to hang on to, you know, to me, for example, it seemed crazy to not give people who are gay the right to marry. Like yes. I never understood why would we not, why would that, right? It didn't even, I, I just couldn't get it. Um, but I also want to hang on to the possibility that as we continue to move through time and space, like something might strike me as weird in the beginning and I might even feel like I'm judging it for a moment, but I want to hang on to that same feeling that I've had when I've been, you know, a younger woman going, wait, I don't understand. Why wouldn't we give gay people the right to marry. Like, I want to hang on to that because I think that change is constant. And we're always going to be faced with things that we don't always immediately understand. Definitely. Yeah, we always will. Do you meditate? And if you do, tell us about your meditation practice. So it's funny because I call it a sitting practice. Mm -hmm. And I think depending on who I speak to, they'll say, oh yeah, that's meditation or no, that's something else. Um, what I do and it's not every day, but it's most days. And I really like my days when I do this is I just, 
I just sit. So what that means for me is I'll usually set a timer for 10 to 15 minutes. And I don't really have any rules for myself, except that I just, I can't, I can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> usually I'm sitting and I'm looking outside. So my eyes are open, which, you know, for a lot of people, they go, okay, then you're not meditating. And I say, okay, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that, but. <laughs> so for me, it's just, I, I battle against my tendency to be go, go, go. Mm-hmm. You know, I always feel like my to-do list is way too long and I have this almost artificial sense of urgency all the time. So I started doing this about a year and a half ago and I just sit and there's, there's no rules. I just sit. I don't try to control my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I don't try to clear my mind. I, I literally don't try to be any kind of way, which is actually a life goal for me. I don't want to try to be any kind of way ever. I always just want to be. And so that was my first sort of step into that practice. I'm just going to sit. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to not do anything. If I watch a squirrel on the branches, cool. If people walk their dog on the sidewalk and I look at that, cool. If I look at the clouds and try to see what I see, cool. But I just sit. I don't read. I'm not actively planning. I'm just sitting there. What time of day? Usually it's first thing. Right. Yeah. Right. That's my preference. What prompted you to start Gallagher's Edge? Well, you know, it. I wish I had a better story. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really kind of started as a small idea because I really, really loved my career at NASA. Um, mm-hmm. And when I became a certified coach, I had heard of a lot of other people that would do executive coaching on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that sounded really fun and really interesting. And I was curious to... Um, see what it was like to work in the private industry. So I started the company and I sought out um, coaching clients in the the tech industry. But the first person that was really interested, um, turns out he wanted more than coaching. Um, His company had just gone through some some layoffs. Um, They were a growing company and, you know, they were working towards acquisition. They wanted to make that happen. And so I came in and I started doing full-on org development, you know, all the types of things that I was doing inside um, NASA Kennedy Space Center. And it was just on the side at first because I I didn't have the intention to leave the agency. But actually within about 10 months, I had enough traction with the work that I was doing on the side that I decided to give it a a go and um, pursue it full-time in 2014. So it really started started off as just this, I love what I do. I definitely like feeling like I'm in control of um, the work that I, I do. And I'm kind of laughing at myself because I definitely think that I'm in less control in general than <laughs> I want to believe I am. <laughs> right? It's a good practice and good lessons from the universe. But yeah, at a certain point within NASA, I started to feel like I had less control uh-huh. and realized that with my own business, I felt at least like I had more. And so it started to become the more attractive option. And what's the most exciting thing that you've done in the company since you started it? The most exciting achievement? Oh, gosh. So I probably had the greatest sense of excitement and pride over that first client. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, they had just gone through a round of layoffs. And, you know, so they were struggling. They couldn't quite figure things out. And when they hired me... It was only 18 months before they were acquired for $36 million. Wow. And um, obviously they had an incredible product and an incredible team and an incredible CEO. 
but he gave me a lot of credit for helping them, you know, make that happen, getting that sense of organization, um, establishing the culture, because that was their fear. You know, we're growing, we're going to lose the culture. How can we have culture and structure at the same time? Um, and so that was a really exciting moment to feel like I was a part of that. It must have been very rewarding. Wow. Yeah, it was <laughs> wow. great. Yeah. Um, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And okay. the first one is this. Who is one person who has been an influence to the mindfulness in your life? I would say Judy Bell. So Judy Bell, um, she was actually working directly with Will Schutz, who developed the human element. And she was one of the facilitators that took me through it in 2009. Uh -huh. So when I think back about my life and my experience, especially in this work, um, I feel like she changed my life. And I had the chance to work with her um, in two more programs. She does um, week-long programs, Authentic Leadership One and Authentic Leadership Two, which I participated in right after I left NASA. So in um, 2014. And my experience has been that each time I go through work with her, it changes my life. Hmm. It creates um, some kind of huge breakthrough for me um, where I feel like I'm more in touch with who I am, which I think is critical to, to being mindful. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It slows them down is the biggest thing. Um, and or if I feel emotion coming with speed, I'm able to, you know, just, okay, let's just dial it back a bit. So the motions are either slower to come or I'm actually faster to recover. Interesting. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. <laughs> it's funny because I even did a breath, right? Yeah, you did. In that last <laughs> answer. Um, I, I actually want to be more intentional about breathing. I think that um, maybe through instinct or maybe through what I've learned over the last five or 10 years, it definitely is a part of it. And I know every time I, I, I teach, I tend to, you know, model breathing as a means to, you know, sort of settle the mind, settle the body. Um, I think it's ridiculously powerful breathing. And so I want to be even more intentional with it. What is a book that you would share that uh, would help us with mindfulness? The Untethered Soul uh, yeah. by Michael Singer. Um, I really like the way he describes the human experience and how we can get stuck in the confines of our own mind and putting the human more as the observer of everything. And uh, so going through his book resonates with me from a lot of the things I feel like I've learned in the past about even tactics like saying, I noticed that part of me feels angry, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like instead of saying, I'm so mad and letting it just overtake me, just hmm, here's something that I notice and how quickly that creates that separation. What I appreciate about his book is how much depth he will go into to explain a concept and all of the different metaphors that he'll use. I get the impression that he really, really wants people to understand how they can truly experience life differently. And I find it inspiring. I find him inspiring as well. I just love his writing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do, can you share an app 
that could help people with mindfulness? Hmm. And if not, that's perfectly fine. So I there's an app called Happify. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't think that the primary focus is mindfulness, like you might find with an app like Headspace or Calm. Um, but I find that Happify is – it has a good – like scientific um, backing to help people feel like they're more in control of actually creating happiness in their lives. And while they're different, I believe that they're very connected. If you could change one thing in your life right now, what would that be? Gosh, do I give a superficial answer or a deep answer? Give a deep <laughs> answer because this isn't really one of my short answer questions. It's a surprise question. So, yeah, give a deep answer. So, I, because I do believe that we are hardwired for human connection, and I don't believe that we're meant to walk through the world alone, I think for me personally, uh, if I could make one change, it would be to have that, that one life partner mm -hmm. to share life with. So, I'm a big believer in the idea that if I can't be happy alone, I can't be happy with somebody. But if I'm happy now, and I think that my life could be richer and more full, if I had that life partner, then I would say that's the biggest change I would want. Right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's, I very much appreciate that. Well, I appreciate your expertise and your wisdom and you know you studied so much but you've spent so much time with people so that experience has given you this wisdom as well and and listeners i would uh, recommend that you listen to dr laura's podcast which is wonderful and it is called and i'm looking right here to remember what it's called <laughs> tell us Expand Your Edge. Expand Your Edge, yes, because I was listening to it earlier. Expand Your Edge, thank you. And uh, you've interviewed some wonderful people, but you have a great way of sharing on your podcast as well. So I appreciate that. How can we connect with you, Dr. Laura? I, I think the best way is my website. Um, so if you go to gallaheredge.com, um, I do have a, a free gift. It's a, a guide that people can download. So I highly recommend that. Um, or if you're intrigued by some of this stuff, I also have a, a membership site. So some of the content that we put out in video form is only for our members. And we can get to the membership site from GallaherEdge.com. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. GallaherEdge.com. G-A-L-L-A-H-E-R. GallaherEdge.com. So go there, check it out because uh, you have so much to offer and you've done so much to, to help our world be a better place. Thank well, you thank for you being so on the show. Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. And you do wonderful things for the world as well. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. 
So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Release Your Overwhelm Guided Meditation for $4.99. Abandon your inner blocks, surrender your stress, and become more focused with the calming sound of the waves and reminders about how you can release your blocks that are holding you back. Download this full-length 30-minute guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com release. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.